Welcome to Broadway's Backbone with Brad Bradley, a podcast dedicated to the men and women of the ensemble, the chorus of dancers, singers, and actors that are the foundation of every Broadway musical. These often unsung gypsies are the hardest working people on the boards and are, well, Broadway's backbone. This year, in 2018, one of Broadway's staples, TDF, celebrates its 50-year anniversary. They are the parent company to TKTS, which this year celebrates its 40th year anniversary. I'm pleased for episode 68 to welcome Victoria Bailey, the executive director of TDF. Hello, I'm sitting here with Victoria Bailey. She's the executive director of TDF. Welcome to Broadway's Backbone. It's lovely to be here. The people that listen to this love theater. They go to theater, they perform in theater, they're auditioning for theater constantly. So I think letting them know about TDF and its many programs is great. So thank you for uh, allowing to do this. Well, I welcome the opportunity because part of what we do is to help support the people who are making the theater. So it's good to to be able to talk about everything we do and, and focus a little bit on that. Great. Well, how long have you been with TDF, and what was your background getting to TDF? I came to TDF in 2001, so it's a little while now. I've been working in the theater really all of my adult life. I started, I suspect, as many of us on the management track do. I started as an actor and a performer in high school. I went to theater school, but when I auditioned for conservatory programs in college, um, it became clear that I... I didn't quite have the stuff, so I did extracurricular theater in college, I stage managed, and then when I graduated from college, I actually I came to New York, I worked for a year at a service organization that doesn't exist anymore, that um, did technical assistance for emerging theaters, and then I actually started work in not-for-profit theaters. I worked at the Yale Rep for a couple of years oh, running the wow. box office and doing group sales. And then I came to New York and I worked for 19 years at the Manhattan Theatre Club. I started in the business office as the business manager and ended up as the general manager there. Oh, that's amazing. And so it was the- fun. I feel really blessed because I had um, 19 years there and we did, at that point, all new plays. I was there before they moved to their Broadway venue, really right up until then. Okay. But so we produced, I, I managed about, I probably managed 150 new plays in the course of... 15 years that I was general manager and really, you know, I loved that and I reached a point where I wasn't sure what I wanted to do next but I knew I needed a change and I left MTC and spent a year consulting and working with smaller theaters to see how that felt and then TDF came along and I thought, sure, I figured I would stay five or six years and then I would miss producing too much and I would go back to that. Um, but obviously it's been wonderful and I'm, I've really loved it and I'm challenged and I feel blessed to have worked on two sides of the business. I feel blessed to have spent you know, 20 years on the producing side and then to be able to come to a service organization side and support a field that I really care about, that's the only thing I know, but support it differently and think about it differently. So it's really been, it's been great. So do you find it that you are still creatively and business satisfied as much yeah, as you were? I, I am because what, what I think what I get to do now that I didn't get to do before, when you're producing, and certainly when you're producing at a theater like MTC, we had one or two shows in rehearsal, we had two shows in production, performance, we had two more shows that were kind of in pre-production. You're always working really, really hard. Yeah. And there's not a lot of time to pull back and go, hmm, 
I wonder if I wonder how we could think about marketing this differently, or how we could think about engaging audiences differently. You're worried about next week, and maybe you're worried about next month. Mm. And so, what this has given me here, I mean, TDF does three things, right? TDF is essentially we are an organization that believes that the performing arts should be available to everybody. And so, what I've been able to do in this position. What we do here is we think about the audience and we think about what's the benefit for the audience of going to theater and dance. How is it that our lives are made richer regardless of whether it's this production or that production. I'm not trying to sell Angels in America. I'm trying to sell the idea of going to the theater. Oh, And yes. that's a really different... Right, that's a different perspective, and I like that broader perspective. And so, as I've come to understand that, I feel like there's a different kind of impact that we have here. Right, you have enormous impact when you produce one show. A show can change people's lives, and it can change the way they think. And that we we know that those of us who make theater, but figuring out how to create a condition in which everybody understands that that's available to them, and everyone begins to get a taste of what it is to go to the theater. It's a different set of muscles, and it's a set of muscles I like exercising. And so, you know, the way TDF acts on our beliefs is we really do three things. We provide access to the theater, which is through a bunch of programs. We either make it affordable or people with disabilities, we provide services. We help people get information about going to the theater. We've got all sorts of, you know, on our, on our website information about how to find a show, how to pick a show. We create communities. We work with kids. We get people in the door, hope that they have a good time while we're there. We try and heighten the impact. So we create communities, which is our education programs, which are we work in communities throughout the city. And then we also support the theater makers. And really the way we support the makers, first and foremost, it's by getting people in the door. Because if you don't have an audience, you're not going to run. Right. And we all know that you know, that's probably the reason the booth is beloved by people in the business is because it keeps them working longer. Right? Yes. The booth has kept a lot of shows running a long time. People always say, what do you think about a show that closes without coming to the booth? Unless it's a limited engagement where, you know, it was always going to be 12 weeks in and out and they don't need the booth. Any show that's an open-ended run that doesn't ultimately make it to the booth is missing an audience and yeah. cutting their run short because there are people who absolutely cannot afford anything other than a discounted ticket. They just don't have the money. Yes. So the booth keeps shows running longer. The membership program keeps shows running longer. We have a costume collection with 80, no, actually closer to 100,000 clothes at this point in at Kaufman Astoria Studios in the lower level in Queens that we rent to theaters around the country, not-for-profits and also commercial enterprises at a slightly higher rate. We try and make it possible for theater folks in the business to also go to the, right? Go to yeah. the theater, because we have this membership program, and one of the ways you qualify to be a member is you're a performing arts professional. Yes, I mean, I'm definitely a right. member. Yeah, as uh, well you should be. Yes. Anybody who's in the business and isn't a member is missing out on an opportunity to see very affordable theater. Well, I'm gonna ask two questions on that. One of them is, you kept referring to the booth. Even when I was a member, I didn't realize that TDF and TKTS were affiliated at TDS, which is, stands for the Theater Development Fund. It's its 50th year yep. anniversary. Yep. So uh, how did the organization actually begin? The organization started, it's the case with a couple of service organizations. There was a foundation called the 20th Century Fund in New York, in the city, and one of the things, as the Ford Foundation was the impetus for TCG, Theater Communications Group, 
20th Century Fund was a think tank, and some of the folks who, who were working there were very concerned about the future of the American theater. Mm. They were concerned about the well-being of what they would call plays of merit. Fifty years ago, I mean, the, the conversation started in 1966-67, there wasn't a lot of not-for-profit theater, right? There really was Broadway. Mm. And certainly in New York, off-Broadway theaters hadn't started yet. So. When you thought about how do you support plays of merit, you were thinking about Broadway. And so they founded this organization. They got funding from the 20th Century Fund, funding from the National Endowment for the Arts, and they founded an organization whose goal was to support productions of merit by building audiences. And so from the very beginning, we've been about getting people into the theater. And so if a a show would apply to TDF for support, and if the there was a person in charge of figuring out what was meritorious productions. It was a committee of one, and his name was Harold Clerman. And <laughs> so if Mr. Clerman decided that it was a meritorious production, then TDF would buy tickets, and we would give them away to people who would not otherwise be able to come. And it was primarily, at that point, teachers. It was students. There was also a concern from the beginning about audience diversity. And trying to get people of color into the theater. So for productions, there, you know, this was the late 60s, so productions that were stories written by, performed by people of color, we helped find an audience. It became clear pretty early on that a model where we bought tickets and gave them away was not going to work. Right. That was not sustainable. And so it morphed a little into if a production applied for support, they would agree to make tickets available to us at a discount we would then sell them to the list, our members, a mailing list program, if you will, and then we would add a little bit more in subsidy. And to be on the list, you were a teacher, you were a union member, you were retired, you were a student, you were a performing arts professional. The idea was it was people without a lot of money. And so that was the first program of the organization. And we opened our doors in 1968. And that was essentially all we did until 1973 when the city, well, anything that's a success has many parents. So (laughs) the TDF, the city, the Schuberts, people had this idea about one of the ways to help Times Square would be to get some legitimate trade into the middle of Times Square because Times Square in the early 70s was really scary. Yeah. And people weren't going to the theater, right? The theaters were, you know, eight shows running, ten shows running. Times Square was a mess. And so... The idea was what would happen if you put a ticket window, in a ticket booth in the middle of Times Square and offered discounted tickets the day of performance. And the model was actually, it goes back decades, there was a guy who had a discount ticket business that he ran when Broadway was still downtown. And when it moved up to Times Square, he moved his business to the lower level of something called Gray's Drugstore. And Gray's Drugstore was in Times Square. And if you wanted a half-price ticket, people knew that the box office treasurers would give tickets to Gray's Drugstore in the late afternoon, and you could go buy a half-price ticket. So the idea has been there forever, right? Forever. And so there was this thought, well, let's try it again. And... I don't think very many people thought it would work. It was on mission for us because our mission was to provide access to the theater for people who couldn't afford it. So we thought, why not? We'll try it. And that was 40 
years ago. Yeah. I think had we known how well it was going to do, they would have called it the TDF booth, right? right? But no one knew. And so it got launched as TKTS, hence the fact that to this day, a lot of people don't know that it's the same organization. And so that's that was the second program that we started. And then from there, we expanded into a variety of other programs. I think the accessibility program was next. We did all of the sign interpreting and then open captioning for Broadway productions. We, we have a membership program, if you will, where folks with disabilities can join. We do um, orchestra seating at half price for people who have mobility yes. issues. Open captioning, audio description, which is describing the action for folks who are low vision or have low vision who are blind. And we started about six years ago our Autism Theater Initiative, which is where we work with shows to provide sensory-friendly performances for kids on the spectrum and their families. See, this is amazing because I know one tiny little part of it that I'm thrilled that I know about, but it's it's amazing how many lives you touched and then just through we, theater. There's more. There's oh, our, keep going, keep going. Our, <laughs> we, have a, we have an education program that started in 1990, and we now work, as we've grown, we work with about 10,000 middle school and high school kids, public school kids, in our Introduction to Theater program where they have classroom sessions with teaching artists and their teachers and they go to the theater. So it's not just a drive-by group sale to the theater, it's six to eight sessions in the classroom before and after the theater. Sometimes we buy out whole houses, have an entire house of high school students going to see Broadway shows or off-Broadway shows. We have a program which is currently called Open Doors, which is a program that Wendy Wasserstein started 24 years ago where working professionals in the theater take a group, there are 24 groups and it's eight kids in each group and they go to the theater with the mentor and their teacher and then afterwards they come back to a room, they have pizza and soda and they talk about the play, they write about it in a journal, they see six shows during the year and they really are developing a deep, that's a that's a very deep program in terms of the appreciation. Oh, wow. So, you know, if, for performers, for people, you know, who are listening who who are actors. Actors are aware when we do autism-friendly performances because yes. we always come in and meet with the company ahead of time. Our education performances are, people love to do them because our kids are prepped, enthusiastic, responsive, but respectful, right? It's like, because I know doing education matinees is not everybody's idea of a good time depending on what you're going to get back from the kids. Right. There are a series of rules or kind of codes of behavior that we all know about going to the theater, but you, you don't learn those unless you've gone to the theater, right? right. Exactly. Has to, right? And if you're not taken as a kid and you're coming for the first time with you know 1,400 of your 10th and 11th grade peers, you know, it helps to have some conversation. They are prepped ahead of time and they understand the actors are live. They understand that if I put a light in your face and you're dancing and make it right, that yeah. would be dangerous. We prep them. But they also understand that they're having an experience and you're telling them a story and they want to respond to that. And performers love that because, let's face it, oh. not every audience is on the edge of its chair ready to be right. Some audiences are harder than others yes, to, they are. to pull over. Yeah. And, you know, there's nothing like... At least it used to be in the regional theater. You could, like, walk into a subscription house and know what night of the week it was. Oh, absolutely. Saturday nights will kill you. And, and those educational audiences are like 9 a.m. in regional theaters. It's very important to us. We don't like the idea of 
special matinees that aren't like other matinees, right? Mm. We want them to go at 2 o'clock. Often we don't have a whole house, and the kids are going to the theater along with quote-unquote civilians. Yes. And they're getting programs, and we want them to understand that theater is theirs. Wendy used to talk about theater as the birthright of every New Yorker, mm-hmm. and Broadway theater doesn't just belong to upper-middle-class, well-educated white kids whose parents bring them from an early age. And that's not to say there are plenty of kids of color whose parents are bringing them from an early age, but the theater belongs to everybody. It belongs to kids from Brooklyn, it belongs to kids from Queens. Often when we work with high school students, sometimes it's the first time they've ever been into Times Square, because it's just not their neighborhood, right? If you grew up here, you have your kind of insulated, you have your neighborhood and you don't get to the rest of it. Which is great. So it's great. Yeah, you've mentioned this several times. If you had to give a mission statement, because mine, if I would be like, oh, TDF, they give cheap tickets to unemployed actors. So That's good, but it's not a mission statement. It's one of the ways we fulfill our mission, but that is not a mission statement. Right. TDF's mission is to sustain live theater and dance by engaging and cultivating a broad and diverse audience and by getting rid of barriers to attendance. So that's what that's what we're here for. For an actor, we're eliminating a barrier to your attendance because we're helping you because you can't afford a full price ticket. For a person with vision loss, we're providing audio description. For a tourist who comes to New York and not only can't afford a full price ticket or really doesn't know what to do and how to go about it. Yeah. And one of the things, you, if you spend time on the line at the booth, you always see, what have you seen? What did you like? Mm-hmm. I've never done this before. I have a 10-year-old. You know, in an age of kind of online recommendations, I still think that for people who are a little apprehensive, to find someone who looks like them on the line mm. and say, what have you seen? Did you like it? There's a level of one-to-one in that recommendation. Um, we one of the other barriers to attendance that we get rid of is we help people figure out how to find out what a play's about. We're not very good in our profession of actually telling people what the story's about. We tell them who's in it, right. we tell them who directed it, we tell them it's from the producers of, but if you aren't a theater person, that yeah. doesn't mean anything. Nothing at all. It tells you nothing about yeah. how to make the choice. And so part of what we try and do on our website with our show descriptions is actually tell people what it's about where we give people kind of thematic considerations so that, again, they're finding out a little bit more. But we envision a world where attendance at live performance is something that everybody can take advantage of. That's that's the world we want to see. Well, I think that's a great world. And as much as I I love the booth, the TKTS booth, I think it's a great thing. I'm preferable to the the TDF membership. I can tell you from my own personal experience, I think I've been a member for over 22 22 years. Uh, This month alone, I saw one and two of Angels in America on Broadway. I saw Fire and Air off-Broadway at the Classic Stage. And then I saw America is Hard to See off off off-Broadway at the Here Theater and bought tickets for this week, uh, I'm seeing Amy and the Orphans at the Roundabout on Broadway. Right. So, I mean, and the thing I like is that I'm getting, it's not even half price. Some tickets are a third oh, of no, the they're price. Oh, no, the membership tickets are really inexpensive. And you can plan ahead. Like, yeah. I know, like, oh, in two weeks, I'm seeing this. Mm-hmm. How do you become a member and what are the benefits of it? Because I know I Xerox my equity card, um, but there's lots of ways there, to do it. It's detailed on our website, which is www.tdf.org, and there's a membership box. But the, basically, we have a wide range of categories. There are students, there are retired folks, there are union members, performing arts professionals, 
clergy, military, non-exempt employees, right? Non-managers, uh, yeah. right? And so you can come and you, you go online and you join and then you send proof of membership. You send mm. proof of your status in right. within like a month. If your status is that you're retired, we kind of assume that once you're 65, you're not going to get younger. So, <laughs> right? Once you're 65, you don't have to qualify anymore. Other folks, we ask them to recertify every few years. We also, you know, I, I get letters from people. I get emails from people who say, I just can't afford to go to the theater, and I want to. They qualify. Yeah. I and mean, if you take the time to reach out to us and say, I, I just can't, and I want to, and it gives my life meaning, there's also a category for people. You can be certified with a disability, but a federal there's a federal certification for disability, and that may be folks who have disabilities that don't mean they need the services that we have through our accessibility programs. But, you know, if you have a long-term injury, Right, and you're you're mm. on disability. That you know that doesn't mean that your desire to have a meaningful life and go to the theater has changed. And so, there are a bunch of those categories. And then once you're on, you go online and you see what's available. And and the thing about the membership program is it really, as you just said, you know, in your example, it isn't just Broadway. It's off Broadway. It's off off Broadway. There's dance. And part of what we're trying to do is get people to understand. There's a wide range of stuff available. Oh. Right? Yeah, I've seen the opera from TDF. I saw a concert at BB King's. Yep. I saw yep. Alita Adams on TDF. And, and these are the things that I mean. I feel fundamentally, you know, living in New York is not always easy. Right. right? We got a lot to deal with. We got the trains to deal with. The rents are right. There's a lot about living in this city. Not that I would live anywhere else, but there's a lot about living in this city. It's hard work. One of the major reasons people live in New York City is to take advantage of the cultural opportunities that are there. The membership program helps you do that, and I think in its own way, the membership program. I mean, it strengthens New York City because yes. this city is only as strong as you know. We cannot be a city that's just the one percent and folks who are really economically. There's a whole. There's a middle there, and we need to take care of those people. We need people to want to live here and work here. I worry about the cost of living in New York. I worry about actors. I mean, how long are young people... You know, it's hard to make the, the leap to come here because it's hard to yeah. find a place yeah. to live. And, you know, these are things in the ecosystem that we need to take care of globally, the city. What TDF can do is if you're a young performer, you're a young artist... The most important thing you can do when you're not working is go see work. Yes. There's no other way to learn, right? So yes. if, if that's... And if you can't afford it, then... And if you can't afford it, then you become... You're not getting what you need. I mean, we are... It is, at the end of the day, still, I think, an art form that is taught by watching and teaching, and it's mentoring, and it's one person to the next... And you become a better actor, or a better playwright, or designer, or director because you're going and seeing other people's work. Right. And we're really the only way you can do that. I know. I can. I completely. And, agree. and so that's you know for folks who are who are listening, who are young in the field, or not even young in the field, but who are in the field, this is the way that you can go see the work that's out there. And so, on the part of what we do, that's supporting the people who make the work. This is the way that we yeah. do that. And I, I mean, I can honestly say I go and check almost every day. Yeah. Because some of the big shows pop up. Come From Away was up that one night yeah, available, no, and like then it's gone. Well, but it's you a, get them. It's a tool for. I mean, productions are smart, and they understand. Producers understand that the membership. That's not folks who are going to go pay one hundred and eighty or two hundred dollars for a ticket. They're just not. Mm -hmm. And so when they've got, I mean, when I was at MTC, when I was a general manager. 
some of our shows, it was a subscription, but we would transfer shows that did well, because you could still run shows off-Broadway then, and we would transfer shows. And so when I was doing an open-ended run, I almost put TDF in there during the week for just 20, 30 tickets in an off-Broadway house, but I had it in every night as a way of ensuring that I was building up, and I knew that those people weren't gonna pay full price. No. So I might as well get it in there. And so that's why you see stuff it's a mix at TD of, for the membership program. It's a mix of performances that are a little ways out and performances that are happening tomorrow. Yeah. Right? Because the, the other side is what, what we can do now that we couldn't do before. This started about 15 years ago, so it's not new, but it, it made a huge difference in terms of the productions. I'd have to second guess what I wanted to give TDF. And if, a, mm. if, the week, if next week, for whatever reason fell short of what I thought it was going to do and I look at the advance for the coming week and I didn't have any tickets or I like had sold really a lot less than I would have expected for whatever reason. It's not a science. For whatever reason, I couldn't at that point go to TDF because it was all done by mail in the old days yes. and say, I, I want you to move another 30 tickets a night now. And this is why a show will pop up and then only be there for one is if you look at a given show and you go... I don't know what's happening that night, but for whatever reason, I got more empty seats than I want. You can put it on sale online, and you'll know that you'll move the tickets. Yeah. Because our folks want to go to the theater. Oh, absolutely. And it's, what, $35 a year? Yeah, $35 a year. Which is fantastic. If you make the investment back with your first Broadway ticket. Uh, the most I've ever spent on a ticket uh, was forty two fifty. the most. It's one of the things that makes us proud of what we do. I mean, I get the periodic letter from someone who's been a member for 35 or 40 years and, you know, telling me, just saying, you know, TDF has brought a lot of joy into my life. Oh, and yeah. So we're trying as part of our 50th, I think we're going to be, you'll, you'll, as a member, you'll see this, we're going to be reaching out to people over the next couple of months to say tell us your stories share your stories with us because there's some really lovely stories out there and we're beginning to see like we'll have students that are in our education programs and then they go to college and then they become teachers and they come back to New York and they're teaching in New York and they call and say I would like to do stage tours for my students the way it was done for me and so we're beginning to see kind of multi-generational. I was a student who got to the theater through TDF, and now I'm a teacher, and I want to bring my students. And so, again, that's the kind of pay it forward. If you do it right and you create impact, you're creating theatergoers for generations to come. Yeah. Well, so much has changed. I know uh, the vou- you used to have the voucher program, right. and now I think... That's the off-off. That became off-off at nine, Yeah. Right? So which and that that's what I just saw at the Here Theater for for nine dollars. I mean, how much have you changed? You have now you have an internet website and I think the the big changes are technology has helped a lot and I think our focus has expanded because I think you know Broadway's changed in the mm. fifty years that we've been around. I mean, at the beginning, if you look at it, Broadway was the only game in New York yeah. for plays and musicals, and then you had an explosion of off-Broadway. The 70s was when kind of all those all the theaters that we think of as being long-established off-Broadway institutions, whether it's playwrights or Second Stage or MTC or the public is also 50 years old this year, um, CSC, all those theaters started, and I think for a while you had those theaters doing their work and you had Broadway, you still had a lot of plays and musicals on Broadway. Over time, Broadway has become, I think, much more about musicals. Yes. Less and less about plays. Has variable pricing, dynamic pricing, yield management, has made it possible 
for shows that are popular to do really, really well. But it's created, I think, creates an impression that Broadway is really expensive mm. um, for a lot of folks who don't know. And I think it's harder for the shows that aren't blockbusters to find their legs and make it work, break even, keep running. And I think there's kind of more and more, and I don't mean this in a negative way, but I think there's more bigger studio-driven, let's take a movie and make it a musical. Yes. Which, you know, you say that and then you think right now about something like Come From Away, right? So there's never a blanket statement that covers. I guess it's an awkward way of saying we've widened the net. We've widened what we want people to be aware Mm. of. Because, first of all, it's really hard to get into a lot of Broadway shows. Second of all, I think one of the things that the founders of the organization, I mean, they cared about plays, right? It was about the well-made play. And the musical was a tool to keeping Broadway running, but they cared about plays. And it is harder and harder to produce a play on Broadway. Yes, it is. Because, A, it costs more, and B, the houses... Because of premium ticket prices, houses that used to be playhouses can now be musical houses because you can make enough money to sustain a musical, right? In a smaller house, which you didn't used to be able to do. Oh, yeah. So the houses are harder to get. And off-Broadway is expensive for plays. So we worry a lot about that. And and we're trying to figure out what we can do. It's interesting you said the the public is 50 years old because when you think of TKTS in many ways, if you think of a chorus line. You think of a chorus line. And you think right. of the character Al. With the I same, don't know why it was green and pink. Yeah, like his <laughs> shirt says T- TKTS. Yeah. Uh, I, I heard a rumor that I don't know if it's true that Michael Bennett, the show was called Chorus Line and that he wanted it to be called a chorus line so that it was always first, first. on the booth. And so <laughs> he added that A. I have never heard that. I don't know if it's... I have never heard that. But it's true. Like, if But you, it is true that shows are alphabetical. Yes. It is true that shows are alphabetical. And, you know, one of the things you do at the booth is you try... You've got to have rules so that everything is the same. So, for instance, sometimes a show will want to put an author's name in it, in the listing. You can only put the author's name in the listing if the title page of the playbill says, you know, David Lachey's Death of a Salesman. It just says <laughs> Death of a Salesman. Well, it's D either way, so that's a bad example. But, yeah, yeah. Right? So if he had, he might have stuck it. I mean, Michael was, you know, I think, from, I think he was smart. I don't, I mean, I never had the privilege of meeting him. But it's interesting because. I think a chorus line probably ran an extra, I don't know, I mean, it ran years more than it would have because of the booth. Yeah. Which, no question. I mean, that's how I saw it yeah. when I saw it, as I came down and got a ticket yeah. at the booth and saw it. Well, now yeah. it's such a Times Square staple, and now with the the stairs, yeah. which I can't believe how long the stairs have been there. I thought they it's were ten ki- years. kind of new. It's ten years this um, And Because I remember when they were at the marquee. Yes, that was, was a law. Yes, and the booth took a long time to build, but I think... The new, the red steps, but I think in the end, one of the things that was lovely about that is that I think the theater, in large part, you know, was responsible for a lot of the turnaround in Times Square, right? Certainly, the new Amsterdam and Lion King helped. I mean, so it was nice, finally, that there was some visible sign of the theater as part of the resurgence in Times Square. Oh, no, I, I think it's great. And the fact that, like, I'm running by it and it's raining and snowing and there's still a line, that's why I'm like, thank God, I'm like, yeah. online TDF member. <laughs> so what is next for, for TDF? I, what do you envision in the next 50 years? I, it's really, an, that is an interesting question. I think what we, I think we envision a few things. I think, I think trying to figure out, continue to make, to talk about how important the arts are. I, I think that as a 
society, we've I think that the performing arts field has gotten a little bit defensive about saying we're really, really essential. I think there's so many things, you know, that you can sit and say, well, the arts are really important, but so is food, and so is this, and so is medical care, and so right there's mm. there's so many challenges. But actually saying, no, in the midst of everything, this is really important. And I think one of the things certainly is true for me, and I think it's true for a lot of us, is that one of the things that I think we realized after the last election was we're the place where we tell stories. And we're the place where we tell stories that help people help us understand a life that's different from our own. Mm -hmm. Right? And one of the things the arts does is it creates empathy. And these are all qualities that I think are lacking in our day-to-day discourse. I think people have trouble understanding the point of view of someone else. You can see it in kind of all of the violence. You can see it in young people. You can see it in troubled folks who pick up, troubled young men who pick up guns. Yeah. Right? I mean, there is a... Which is not to say that if you can get kids in the theater, that won't, ha- that, that won't happen. But you know what? If we, it's important to keep saying this is essential. So I think that's something in the nearer term that we have to do. I think in the longer term, it's a couple of things. And I, and I can't imagine this, but when I think 10 years out, you know, the field's going to change. How is technology going to intersect how we make art, right? How, mm-hmm. How is that going to happen? We haven't figured that out yet. But I want us to make sure that TDF is always a place that says to its members or its constituents, go look at this, go think about this way of experiencing this, right? So to be a place where we're not frightened of, where we help the field not be frightened of technology, right? It's really hard for me when people are tweeting or using their phones during a performance. Oh, gosh. But the moment... It's intermission. We should tell them to turn their phones on and tell everybody where they are. And then we should tell them to turn off before yes. the show starts again. Yes. We talk a lot, those of us who are in the business, we talk a lot about those people who use, those people in the audience who, those people. Whenever we're talking about those people, there's something we have to, we're, we're making them the other. And better to kind of sit and try and figure out why do they let their phones ring? Probably because they forget or they don't understand or they think, right? So how do we use technology as a resource to help us in the field? What should be online? What should people be able to see? What kind of video should there be? I think there are ways that we can involve performers in increasing the likelihood that some kid's going to go to the theater, right? Yeah. What, what, what's your day? What do you do? What does it look like in that rehearsal room? And, you know, yes, that's safe space, and yes, you have to protect, and yes, you need the work, and you never have enough time. But, you know, I'd pay for two extra days of rehearsal and skip some ads to get it out there so that people could see it. So I think it's... It's helping people understand that is in our future, and it's really hard to say 20 years from now because I really don't know. You know, sometimes you think technology is going to have a huge impact, and then sometimes you remember that it really isn't. The theater hasn't changed that much since 400 years ago when Shakespeare's company was rehearsing. You probably could tell when it was three weeks in with only a week to go, and people probably got cranky then. Just oh, like they tend to get cranky now. When yes, you hit that magic three weeks, and you're yeah. like, we're never going to get there, right? I mean, yeah. So we haven't changed that much. So I guess that's what I think we're going to do. We're going to work much more widely in the city. You know, it's easy to talk about 10 years. It's harder to talk about 50. We're gonna, I think we're going to continue to focus throughout all of New York City and working on strengthening performing arts activities all through the city and not just on Broadway because there's a lot going on out there. 
I think sometimes people need to know that they don't have to get on the train, whatever. They could actually take the bus one stop or walk around the corner because there's arts. I mean, there's arts all over. The there's place. arts everywhere. Everywhere. Yes. Everywhere. Yeah, and TDF lets you go there and, and yeah. see it for very cheap. Some of the some of the most brilliant stuff I've seen. I only went because I was like a thirteen dollar ticket. And thirteen dollars, what's to lose? Yes. Right. Yep. And right. I was like, I know that theater. I, I like. There's a description to be like, might Why as well. Not? You know. And I can plan it two weeks in advance because I know I want I have a guest in town. Right. You know, and we already spent five hundred dollars to see one show. To do your one right to do the one off. That right? we're not going to do that again <laughs> for, well, for two or, shows. Yeah. Right, right. Or tourists come to town. I think a lot of people in the, who line up for the booth they've seen one that they bought ahead of time. Yeah. But they want to see something else, yeah. and that's what they use the booth for. Yeah. So I have one question for you that about something that you said earlier. I think a lot of people, when they audition for conservatories, they don't get in, they're done. They're like, my career in the arts is over. And instead, you persevered and, and flourished in the arts, yep. just in a different avenue. I think a lot of performers don't realize the amount of career opportunities there are in this field. Yeah, I think that's really important, and I think it's important for two reasons. So, I mean, if you, if you are young and an aspiring performer and it's not working, that doesn't mean you have to leave. So figure out what else you like. Volunteer, right? Where I was and you didn't get into conservatory in your high school, that you should keep making theater. Maybe you want to be a stage manager. Maybe you want to be a director. Maybe you want to be a designer. Maybe you want a job that has nothing to do with the stage. You want to be a marketing person. You want to be a fundraising person. You want to be someone who's an accountant, right? You want to be a business manager. Those jobs, actually, the attraction of those jobs is that there are 52 weeks a year and there isn't unemployment. And some of them, actually, if you're working for an institutional theater, you get a paycheck every week and you get this thing called health insurance, right? Right. So, and sometimes it's often the case that parents are not always thrilled when their children say they're going to grow up and be in the theater. And I think they're the least thrilled if they begin to understand what the challenges are if you're a performer, because as we all know, there's not as much employment as there should be. It helps. You can say, you know, I can have a career in business in the theater. Yes. And that's really helpful. I mean, there was one summer when I was in college when for a brief moment in time, I thought maybe I should just be a lawyer and go to law school. And my mother was so excited. <laughs> she must have had more young lawyers to the house that summer to prove that there were really interesting people, and it, it didn't last. I, it was a aberrant moment that ended, and I very quickly went back to the theater. But I, think, I do think it's really important, and I think one of the things that people should understand is I, one of the reasons I love working in this field is that the people who work in this field are very generous. And they are, and they love it. And if you aren't a performer and you want to be a something else, you can email people, and sooner or later, someone will spend ten minutes with you and tell you how they got there. Yeah, right. You just have to ask. I think that's important to understand. Well, I asked, and you said yes, so thank you. David said yes as well. Right. Just to, to end the podcast, that we all know the TKTS booth is in Times Square, but is there another one? Oh, we, we have several TKTS booths. Oh, we have one here. in Times Square. We have one at South Street Seaport. Uh, we have a booth at Metrotech in Brooklyn. And our latest booth is uh, at the atrium at Lincoln Center. So there are four booths spread around the greater metropolitan area. And I would say that the lines are shorter at the other three. You can also get 
matinee tickets the day before as well as the day of at the satellite booths, which we call them the satellite Oh, that's booths. great. It's a difference from the Times Square booth. Generally, they have the same inventory. Sometimes there are things at the satellite booths that aren't at Times Square because sometimes shows want to use the booth, but they don't necessarily want to use it in the heart of Broadway. And oh. so they might be somewhere else and not Midtown. Interesting. Yeah. And then it's tdf.org is tdf.org is the online presence and that's where you find out about the membership program or any of our other programs if you're interested. And also it looks like you have interviews and blogs. I mean yep. there's a lot yeah, of we great do research. There's a lot of stuff there. Um, our website has this iteration is feeling its age and so we're in the process of working on new website design at which point we hope it will be even easier to find what's there. Oh, well, well, thank you. Uh, well, that makes me very happy. Uh, Not tomorrow. It'll take a little while. Oh, no, that's all right. Well, I, I mean, I plan on renewing for the, for the rest of my life. That's you know? good. Yes. <laughs> I mean, even if I'm making lots of money, I'm still... Then you can renew and you can become what we call a donor. Oh, yes. Because we do also, we do rely on, we have philanthropic supporters yeah. because our for the, all those programs, we need to raise money for all of those yeah. programs as well. So if you were to become... A multimillionaire. Or I, will, even, I will definitely right, do that. Then you have yeah. to think of us. Because TDF makes me personally see more theater. That's good. So there's stuff that normally be like, I really can't afford that. But when I see it on TDF, I'm like, well, now you can. Now you can. So exactly. now you get to go see, you know what I mean, uh, Mary Maisie or I'm going right. to see Deborah Monk. People right. that are worth me spending full price, yeah. I just can't. But you can't. Exactly. But because of TDF, I can't. Right. Twice right. in one week. Right. So thank exactly. you. Uh, You're welcome. Thank I you. usually end this with the, the song. Is there a song right now that's going on in your life or what represents you that I would play you? out I didn't give you a heads up on that. I have so no sorry. idea. Yeah, whatever comes to your head. There are songs that are happening now. I don't know. I love Before the Parade Passes By. I love, uh, I love, I've always loved On the Street. Where you, I'm an old, I was an old musical girl, right? Yes. So that's, I guess, the ones that I'm thinking of are the ones from my youth. Who would you want to sing When the Parade Passes By? Well, uh, my very first Broadway show was Hello Dolly with Pearl Bailey. Great. Okay, good. That is perfect. Thank you Edit very that much. Yes, I will. This is fun. Before the parade passes by I've got to go and taste Saturday's highlight Before the parade passes by I've got to get some life back into my life I'm ready to move out in front I've had enough of just passing by life With the rest of them, with the best of them I can hold my head up high I've got to go again, I've got to drive again I want to feel my heart coming alive again Before the parade passes by Look at that crowd over there Listen and hear that brass harmony growing Look at that crowd over there Pardon me if my old spirit is showing All those lights over there Seem to be telling me where I'm going When the whistles blow and the cymbals crash And the sparklers light the sky I'm gonna raise the roof, I'm gonna carry on Give me an old trombone, give me an old baton Before the parade 
Mir, Mann!